Welcome to Gateway's Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, my wife and Jen and I, we got married on June 14th, 2003. I can see you guys doing the math in your head. It's almost been 20 years. And everybody can say, aww, once you look at this picture, hold on. Here we go. Everybody say, aww. Uh, we, we got married on June 14th, and then a couple of days later, we actually moved to Columbia so that I could attend seminary here at CIU. And uh, what was funny is our, our honeymoon wasn't leaving for like another week. And so that first Sunday, I think it was like June 22nd, we go looking for a church when we're first married. And we end up at the old campus of Gateway at what I think you guys used to call the CAC, a gymatorium, whatever you want to call it. But we walk in for worship on June 22nd, 2003, as 23-year-old, first married, young, naive couple who were genuinely best friends with one another. But now looking back, I can see we had no clue about who each other were at that moment. Like she did not know what she was getting into in particular. Much of that fact had to do a lot with me and, you know, the fact that God had to do a lot in my life to mature me, to grow me, and, uh, and to grow me as a husband. Marriage has literally been, though, the greatest blessing in my life, but it hasn't been easy. Marriage has been this mirror for me to help me see the person that I really am, to help me see how selfish I tend to be, to help me see how sinful I tend to be. See, uh, it helped me see kind of where I needed to grow and what areas in my life that I wasn't very Christ-like. For example, I remember not being too far along in marriage when we had our biggest fight and it was literally over potatoes. Yes, fighting over potatoes, which you know, though, this morning that it wasn't really about the potatoes, right? It was about me. It was about my selfishness. So here's the question then this morning. How can something that God created to be so good, like marriage and family, go so wrong sometimes? If we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, we can see kind of how we got this way. It's interesting, though, that God created the first family before sin entered into the world. He created man, Adam, and he looks at man after he creates him, and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And ladies, you know this, if you've ever left your husband away for the weekend with the kids and the destruction that has taken place, you know it's not good for man to be alone. If you've ever seen a guy's dorm room in college, you walk into a single guy's dorm room, you know it's not good for man to be alone. And so God creates woman in his infinite wisdom. He creates Eve to be what God calls a helpmate suitable for him. Now, guys, before you go writing on your anniversary card, thank you for my helpmate suitable. Uh, That does not sound so great. But yet, if you look at the scripture, it's actually a really amazing picture of male and female. This word helpmate for Eve means someone who walks alongside. It's the same, it's a similar word, at least to the word helper used of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Someone who walks alongside of us, who lives in us to convict, to challenge, to encourage, to correct, to spur on. It's actually a beautiful picture of what Eve was meant to be to her husband, Adam. 
And this term suitable is an interesting term as well. It means that they're different, but perfectly fitting. There was something amazing about male and female where they were distinctly different from one another, yet they perfectly fit together and complement one another. And so this early marriage, you have Adam and Eve, they're, they're living in perfect harmony with God, walking in the cool of the garden, talking with God. They're living in perfect harmony with one another. You know, Adam, he actually sees the pile of dirty clothes on the floor and he picks them up before he's even asked. He lifts up the seat, puts down the seat of the toilet. He does everything correct. And, and Eve, well, I'm not falling into that trap this morning. Eve lived perfectly, of course. They lived in perfect harmony with one another and with God. But we know that that's not the end of the story. Adam and Eve disobey the one command that God gives them and sin enters into the world and brokenness just goes wild across this first family. First of all, they're broken in their relationship with God. So sin immediately separates from them from God and God comes to find them. And what are they doing? They're hiding in shame from this God who they used to walk with in the cool of the day. And then their relationship begins to shift You see the first family being broken by sin as Cain murders his brother Abel. Sin destroys this perfect family and that's what makes family this morning so difficult for you and I. It's because we're sinners living with other sinners and raising little sinners in our families. Can I get an amen on that one at least, right? Amen. That's what makes family difficult. You can rest assured this morning that there's no perfect marriage. There's no perfect marriage. There's no perfect mom and dad in this room. There are no perfect kids today. But here is the good news, really. The good news is that we have the gospel. That God went to incredible lengths in our relationship with him to forgive us through his grace and through Christ's work on the cross and to restore us in relationship with him. And if God did that to me and for me, a sinner who rebels against him, then God can do that. He can restore your family this morning. God, through his grace and his power, can not only restore your family, but actually can help you love one another the way he intended and reflect God's love as you love each other, as you forgive each other, as you live with your spouse and you live with your kids. Uh, But this doesn't only apply to marriage. This is for everybody in the room. God can help us love our, our spouses and our kids, but God can also help us love the people around us that he's given us. Uh, There's hope for your friendships this morning and your broken relationships. Maybe you have a broken relationship with a sister or a brother. There's hope this morning. There's hope for a wayward child. If you you find yourself in a, a family that's just not perfect, if you're finding yourself in a marriage that's not going as well as it should, if you're not being the husband or wife that God intended you for you this morning or the mom and dad or even the friend or the brother, If we can get things aligned vertically with God this morning in our relationship with him, then he'll help us align our horizontal relationships with the people around us. My belief in the gospel, Christ worked to forgive me of my sin and put this new heart in me and transform my love uh, and where God's love for me and my love for him, it can help me love more faithfully my spouse, my kids, my neighbors, my coworkers, even God says, it can help me love my enemies. 
There's a reason that Jesus says the two greatest commands in Scripture are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's because one of those informs the other. So more than anything this morning, when it comes to our families, when it comes to our marriage, you know, we, we think about strategies, we think about like different action steps, and all of those things are good. But the most important thing for you this morning that can transform your family and your marriage is a new understanding of the gospel and what Christ did for you. That's what we need today. What does the gospel have to do with marriage part? Like what? What? That sounds a little weird. That was just like a decision I made a long time ago. What does that have to do with me now? Well, the Bible says that that's actually the mystery of marriage. In Ephesians 5, Paul tells us that marriage is meant to represent to the world around us Christ's love for his people, the church. So that's our job today, is to represent Christ in the way we love our spouses, in the way we love our families, and not only that, in the way we love everyone around us. We're meant to be a representation. If we're a believer, we're meant to be a representation of Christ to the world around us. So every moment then in your family is a gospel moment. Every interaction you have, every conflict, every problem is actually an opportunity for you to reflect to your spouse and to your family the love that Christ has for his people. If you're a believer in Christ, you represent Christ to your family. So now the question is then, how do we do that? What does that look like on a day-to-day basis? Well, first, it starts by accepting responsibility. A gospel-centered family begins by accepting responsibility. If I were to ask you this morning, about the trouble in your marriage, I bet it boils down to the thing we talked about just a few minutes ago, and that is sin. And the DNA of sin is selfishness. That in my universe, my wants, my needs, my desires are at the center. So many of our problems in marriage can just boil down to plain selfishness. You didn't do what I wanted you to do. You didn't respond the way I wanted you to respond. You didn't value the thing that I wanted you to value. You didn't do what I wanted you to do. Selfishness. Another problem we have is idolatry. You know, it's, it, and the most important thing is not the sin I, you know, that my wife brings into the relationship. The most important thing this morning is the sinfulness I bring in to the marriage, that I carry it with me in my marriage this morning. And at the heart of that sometimes is a little bit of idolatry. Idolatry is when there's something in our hearts that becomes so important, so valuable, that it often takes precedence over God, and we get angry when it gets interfered with. What do you get angry and frustrated about in your family this morning? What has become so important to you that it actually interferes with your relationship with Christ and with your family? For example, is your need for control so great in your life that it's driving a wedge between you and your spouse and your kids? Is your desire to appear appear successful to the world around you? Is that driving a wedge in your finances where you fight about your money all the time and it's driving a wedge between you and your spouse? For me, my idol can sometimes be pleasing people and looking like I have it all together. I guess that's sort of the Southern way, right? We're always afraid to admit that we haven't gotten things figured out. 
And when my family sometimes gets in the way of you know, me appearing to have it all together or me pleasing the people around me, sometimes I get frustrated. I get angry. That's where conflict begins to well up in my heart. And it's because behind all of those things is a little idol in my life that's causing the anger and it's causing the frustration. But here's the good news this morning. As soon as we accept responsibility for what we can control, as soon as we accept responsibility for our sin, that it was our disobedience that separated us from God, God meets us there right in that moment with his grace and forgiveness and empowers us to change through the Holy Spirit. That's the good news this morning. It starts with the responsibility, but then he gives us the power to do what he's called us to do. One of the first steps to a healthy, then, gospel-centered marriage today, then, is to acknowledge your sin got you there, your selfishness got you there, and to take responsibility for the only thing you can take responsibility for, your response. You can only control what you do and what you respond to. Now, I need to take a small aside here for just a second and speak to some folks in this room, because I want you to hear me on this. This is not an excuse to sweep sinfulness under the rug or to stay in an abusive relationship. Don't hear me say that you just need to sit and take it. Sin has to be confronted and dealt with and boundaries need to be established. And when we're dealing with harm or abuse, there needs to be intervention and even perhaps separation. There are some marriages where you've done everything you possibly can, but your husband or wife has abandoned the marriage. I'm not saying this morning that it's your fault or that you could have fixed it. What I am talking about, though, is the day-to-day married life and marital conflict that we seem to run into, that relational and communication conflict. And one of the best prayers that we can pray when we're enduring relational tension or conflict or frustration, one of the best things we can ask God to do is to search me, search my heart. Help me to see where I've sinned, what attitude I bring in. Help me to control, God, what I can control. Help me to control my response to the situation. God, how do you want me to respond to this? How do you want to use this in my life to grow me, mature me, help me love my family better? Help me get rid of some of the selfishness that I know is in me. God, what do you want to do in my life? You can only control what you do, what you respond to. That's the only thing you have control over. And a good marriage, a gospel-centered marriage always starts with you. It always starts with you taking responsibility. If I were to ask you this morning, what's the main problem in your marriage? And the first thing out of your mouth is, well, my wife is constantly nagging me. Or, you know, my husband, he just doesn't get it. Then you're probably not accepting responsibility this morning. You know the first thing Adam did when God confronted him about his disobedience? He says, the woman you gave me gave me the fruit. He blames God and he blames his wife. He doesn't accept responsibility. I heard Don talking about this in a message uh, about a year and a half ago or so uh, that he preached here. And he said, you can't fix your marriage by fixing the blame. We need to take responsibility Secondly, though, if we're going to have a gospel-centered marriage this morning, we not only need to take responsibility, but we need to allow God's love 
to be the pattern for our, our love for one another. Ephesians 5, 31 through 32, Paul gives us this pattern. And here's what he says. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Paul uses some kind of interesting math this morning when he says the two become one. Uh, he, he's not saying one individual plus one individual, which get to keep their own wants and they get to keep their own desires and they keep their own individuality. They become two people contractually obligated to love one another in marriage. It's not what he says. He also is not saying you give 50% of yourself and then they kind of meet you halfway and give 50% of their selves and then you become one flesh. He's saying one plus one in God's math and his marriage math equals one, one flesh. It's a different kind of language that he's using here when he even says a man should leave his father and then be united to his wife. And he says, this is a mystery of, and it's meant to represent Christ in the church. He's using this covenantal language for marriage that we need to hear this morning. See, we often view marriage as a contract, a contract, a legal agreement between two people that if you do your part, then I'll do my part and we'll legally be united together. And that's not what God says marriage is at all because what's a contract based on? It's actually based on distrust between two parties. Like, I'm not sure if you're gonna carry out your end of the bargain, so we're gonna set up a contract to ensure that if you don't do what I want you to do, then I can get out. That's a contractual 50-50 marriage. If you do this, you'll get rewarded. And if you don't do this in our marriage, then you get punished. That's a 50-50 contractual marriage. But God's love is not a contract. It's a covenant. And marriage should be a covenant. A covenant is different than a contract. A covenant is not a promise. If you do this, then I'll do this. A covenant is I'm gonna do my part whether you can do yours or not. I mean, think about the, the covenant that God made with the people of Israel. This promise that I'll be your God and you'll be my people. It's this language of, of mutual relationship and, and promise. But what do the people do? They're never faithful to God. They always waver in their love for God, but he never wavered in his faithful love for them. He gave it all. He gave 100% of himself. Aren't you glad that God doesn't love us based on our credentials or the way that we love him or the conditions that he set forth? God would have grounds of getting out of our relationship with him literally every single day. Aren't you glad that God doesn't love like that? And we can't love like that in marriage either. Our marriage is meant to reflect that covenant between Christ and his people. Do you have a contractual marriage this morning, a 50-50 marriage where you reward based on good deeds, but then you punish based on what they don't do? Then you have a 50-50 marriage this morning. And let me tell you, that kind of love just can't last because there are times in my marriage where I can't bring anything good to the table and my wife still chooses to love me and to serve me and to be faithful to me anyway. That kind of love is a daily choice. It's a daily action that I'm gonna still pursue you, serve you, and love you with the love 
of God even when you don't deserve it or you haven't earned it or you haven't done anything. This idea of contractual love is all based on feeling. It's, you know, if I feel like it in the moment, I'll love you. And if I don't feel like it, well, you know, I won't love you. But covenantal love, God's love, is based primarily on action. It's a daily commitment. It's a daily choice to love God's way. But here's what's amazing about it. As I make that choice to love, despite anything my spouse does, God always is faithful to let the feelings of love follow. He's always faithful to bring those feelings as I commit to serve and love and pursue my wife in covenantal marital love. Let's go back to Ephesians 5. If we want to love like God's love, it has to be a covenant, not a contract. But secondly, if we're going to love like Christ's love, then we need to love like Jesus. Just a simple statement. We need to model our love for one another after Christ's love for us. What does it say here in Ephesians 5, 32? This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way the Christ and the church are one. Then what does it say in verse 25 to husbands? Husbands, love your wives, what? As Christ loved the church, who did what? Who gave himself up for her. Our marriages are meant to be a direct representation of Christ's love for our people. And I don't think there's a greater opportunity, a greater environment to show uh, the gospel than the environment of marriage and family. Uh, Because that's really the entire point of our marriage. It's meant to put the gospel on display in the way we love one another, the way we forgive each other the way we serve one another, the way we're patient with one another, all of that is meant to symbolize Christ's love for us. And your marriage will be transformed if you just start showing that kind of love to your spouse. How did Jesus love? He gave himself up. Christ's love is sacrificial. It's selfless. It's costly. See, love is putting someone else's needs before my own putting their interests, their wishes, you know, their comfort above my own wishes, my own comfort, my own interests. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that doesn't require any kind of reciprocation or even that the person being loved is deserving. That's the kind of love Christ had for us, and that's what we can display in our marriages. But what does this look like? Like on a day-to-day basis, when we're having conflict, when we're arguing, when there's tension between us, what does that look like practically? I think Paul Tripp helps us in his book uh, he calls Marriage. It's a simple title, uh, just marriage. So, And he tells us some practical ways that we can love one another daily. And I just want you to hear some of these this morning. One, love is being willing to have your life complicated by the needs and struggles of your husband or wife without impatience or anger. Love is being a good student of your spouse, looking out for his or her physical, emotional, and spiritual needs so that in some ways you can help remove the burden that they carry to support them and to encourage them along the way. Love doesn't wait around to be told what is needed or what to do. Love never sees their spouse as an interruption Love is burdened when they are burdened and finds joy in their spouse's relief. 
If you really love your husband or wife, you'll be willing to increase your load in order to lighten theirs. Love is speaking kindly and gently, even in moments of disagreement, refusing to attack your spouse's character. Love is the willingness to have less free time, to less sleep, a busier schedule in order to be faithful to what God called you to be as a husband or a wife or a dad or a mom. Love is staying faithful to your commitment to treat your spouse with appreciation, respect, and grace, even in moments where he or she doesn't seem to deserve it or is unwilling to reciprocate. Love is refusing to be self-focused or demanding, but instead looking for specific ways to serve, support, and encourage, even when you're busy and even when you're tired. One of the best questions I think I've learned to ask, and sometimes I grit my teeth when I ask it because I'm frustrated or I'm tired or I just want to be comfortable. But one of the best questions for your marriage you can ever ask in those moments where there's tension or when you come home and, you know, things aren't happy around the house is, how can I serve you? In all this, what can I do to help? That question will transform your marriage this morning and it will model the love of Christ for your family. Jesus said in Mark 10, 20, uh, 10, 45, that he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He came with selfless, costly, sacrificial love. And that's what we're supposed to have with our families. But let me tell you, that's impossible. <laughs> I mean, it's impossible in your own strength. It's impossible in my own strength, to love that kind of way, to love my spouse the way Christ loves my spouse. But I can tell you this morning, we can do that with the strength that he provides. By drawing closer to him, by understanding what he did for me to draw me close to himself. Listen, husbands, especially, our, our greatest need in our families this morning is for us to better understand the gospel and how it applies to our own life and to grow in our faith. And wives, the same to you. Let us draw near to God and let us help him then love one another. And the most difficult time in my married life was when we had our first child, Micah. It was tough. It was tough learning to be a new parent. It was tough because at the time I was like really busy in my work life. I was serving as um, you know, middle school, high school, and college pastor at Riverland Hills. And uh, it was just a difficult uh, time in life, doing all those things and serving in those ways. And I remember my wife and I had gone on a trip with another couple that was supposed to be really fun and just invigorating. And I mean, I just, I think I just kept putting my foot in my mouth every uh, few minutes and not saying what encouraging things, not saying what I was supposed to say. And I could just tell immediately, like, as we're on our way home, that things are not okay, that there's some tension in the car, if you know what I mean. Like, you can ask, is everything okay? And she says, it's fine. And you know, it's not fine. You know, there's tension there. And so we stop at a McDonald's. Don't ask me why we stop at a McDonald's seat. We stop at McDonald's on our way home. And I remember asking, is everything okay? And she didn't say, no, it's fine. Uh, she started to, to cry. And she said, you know what, Bart, I love you, but I don't like you right now. And I, I haven't liked you for a little while now. You're not doing your part to serve. 
You're, you're not helping me. I feel like I'm alone in this journey with Micah and everything that he needs and what he wants. And I'm just at the end of my rope and you're not helping. You're not serving. You're not doing my part. This is a perfect time to practice what I preach about the gospel. Now, I could have gotten defensive. I could have listed all the ways that I thought I was serving or that I thought I was helping. But instead, I wept with her. I wept and I asked God to help me recommit to a gospel love for my spouse, to help me recommit to outdoing her, striving to outdo her in the way I served her, in the way I helped care for our child, in the way I supported her, in the way I loved her. And I'm still trying to outdo her, but I can't. She keeps outdoing me and serving in honor. She keeps giving so much of herself. But in that moment, when I accepted responsibility for what I could control, God began to restore and redeem and renew my marriage. And we've been on a different trajectory ever since that day. Some of you are thinking this morning, and Satan's telling you a lie, that you can't have a God-honoring or a gospel-centered marriage. Don't believe his lies this morning. I'm gonna be honest with you, it's not a fairy tale. It's not easy, but it is a choice. It's a choice to put Jesus at the center and then with hard work and sacrifice and lots of apologies and lots of forgiveness and then more putting Jesus at the center of your relationship and more forgiving and more apologies and more costly sacrifice, you can have a marriage that honors Christ in the way you love your spouse, and the way you love your family. Because you're not entering into a contractual relationship. You are entering into a covenant. And that means you're not alone. You're not alone in your marriage. God is with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's right there in the middle of it. Not only that, you have an advocate in your spouse's life in the Holy Spirit that is an advocate to do what God wants to do in their life. And it's this amazing thing when you put God in the center and you begin to align things vertically, he takes care of those other things. He can do that for you this morning. He wants to do that for you this morning, but we've got to get things aligned with Jesus. You got to get that right first. What are some action steps for you this morning? Maybe God is calling you to weep and to repent over the way that you've been loving and serving your spouse. I'd love to pray for you in that this morning. Ask God to give you the strength to help you see new ways that you can serve selflessly, even if it costs you some comfort. Perhaps you're here today and you've witnessed firsthand a spouse who is following Jesus. They have peace in their walk with Christ and deep down you know that you don't and you wanna experience that too this morning. We would love to walk you through what it looks like to be forgiven by Christ and his work on the cross and to place your faith in him so that your marriage, your relationship with God, everything about your life can be transformed. Maybe your marriage is broken and it hasn't been restored. Or maybe you experienced the hurt of divorce or separation this morning. There's hope. Even if you're in a difficult moment, there's hope. God can bring healing in you, even if there's not restoration in your family. And the gospel is good news this morning that we can hope for better, that God has a world prepared for us, a, a place prepared for us that one day all things that are broken will be made new. 
There's hope for you this morning. Finally, if I'll just leave you with this, my final encouragement this morning is that one of the best gifts you could ever give your kids this morning, one of the best gifts you can give your kids is to see mom and dad loving one another, dealing with conflict, dealing with tension, dealing with differences the way that Christ intended and with the love of the gospel. The gift of a healthy marriage is one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids. Don't neglect your marriage for the sake of your kids. Let them see the gospel on display. You're preaching a far better sermon than I can preach this morning in the way that you treat your spouse Monday through Saturday to your kids. So you know what? Get a babysitter. Go on a date night. Renew your commitment to one another. Sign up for the marriage conference. God can do a work in your family this morning. We would love to pray for you in that. As our band comes up and we sing our final song, it's a great opportunity. If you just wanna pray, uh, we'd love for you to come up front and pray. We'd love to, again, walk you through what it looks like to follow Jesus. You can fill out that Connect card. We'd love to follow up this week and meet with you about baptism or, or anything that you want. We'd love to talk to you about your relationship with Christ. Let me pray for us this morning, and then we're gonna respond in worship.